Today is the beginning of my sixth teaching on how to stay positive in a negative world. And I tell you, this is so important. And I know the things I'm saying are very practical, but I just am expanding on this a little bit more because uh, really this, instead of spending the majority of my time talking about the need for this, we need to talk about what the antidote is, and it's just knowing God. It's just relationship with God. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And the Word of God is the number one way that you really get to know God. There's a lot of people that don't agree with that. They use the Word of God and it is just an incidental, it's an appendage. It's, a, you know, it's not a part of their relationship with God. It's just a vague uh, thing that they use. But I'm telling you, you are not going to be positive if you don't get into the Word of God and have this renew your mind and cause your heart to rejoice and all of the other things that we've been talking about. So basically, I've been talking about how important our relationship with God is to keep you positive. And the way that you keep relationship with God is you keep your nose in the Bible and constantly focused on what God is saying, constantly looking at Him and all of the things that He's done instead of the things that this world has done. And now I want to talk about how important the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Here's a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. This is a promise that God comforts us in all of our tribulation. Not some of it, all of it. You know, again, the whole context of everything I've been saying is how to stay positive in the midst of a negative world and negative situations. When the doctor tells you you're going to die, when your business is falling apart, when your marriage is falling apart, when all of these negative things are happening, how do you do this? This says God comforts us in all of our tribulation. Not part of it, all of it. And how does he do that? The Holy Spirit, there are, in this, uh, the discourse that God gave his disciples the night before his crucifixion, John 14, 15, and 16. There are like five or six times in here that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. And you put this together with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He comforts us in all of our tribulation. How does he do it? He does it through the Holy Spirit. That is the descriptive name of the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He's not the afflictor. He's not the one who agitates everything. He's not the condemner. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Let me just take one passage of Scripture out of John chapter 14 and in verse 16. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever... I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit here is called the Comforter. And again, there's like five or six times in this, these uh, few pages that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit who He said He was sending to His disciples. He called Him the Comforter. If you are going to be comforted, if you're going to overcome this negativism in this world, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life which includes many things. It's not limited to speaking in tongues, but it includes speaking in tongues. 
And you know, I know right now, I have people who you do not have this gift of speaking in tongues. And yet you say, well, I have the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is with you, but there is a difference in having the ministry of the Holy Spirit with you and having Him in you. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. So you wouldn't have even had a relationship with God if the Holy Spirit hadn't have already been working on your heart and drawing you to Him. And when you're born again, you definitely have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to make that transaction a reality in your life. And so I don't doubt that you have the Holy Spirit with you, but right here in this very passage of Scripture, in John chapter 14, Jesus was talking to His disciples And in verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. So all of this is, of course, talking about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the comforter. And he says he's been with you, but he shall be in you. Did you know Old Testament saints had the Holy Spirit with them? For instance, Samson, it says that the Spirit came upon him and he did all of these mighty things. And the Holy Spirit was with him. And there's times that it talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon people and that they were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. And so all throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the way that God moves in people's lives. And he touches us through the Holy Spirit. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can see all three of these in manifestation at the baptism of Jesus because here was Jesus in His physical body. He was God in the flesh. 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16, I believe it is. It says that great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The only time God was manifest in the flesh was through Jesus. So Jesus is God in the flesh, he, you could see him, and yet the heavens opened up and there was an audible voice of God, God the Father speaking, and then there was a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. So you have all three there, God the Father speaking, God the Son in his physical body, and God the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. So there are three parts to our Godhead. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how He does everything. You know, God, because He is one, I can't explain this totally, but the Scriptures make it very clear that God is three parts and yet He's one. He cannot operate independent of Himself. If Jesus is going to move in your life and touch you, He does it through the Holy Spirit. It's not like there's just Jesus and then there's the Father and then the Holy Spirit. They're all one. If you are going to have Jesus move in your life, if you're going to receive His benefit, you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And truly, the Holy Spirit moved upon people in the Old Testament. But like this says, that the Holy Spirit was with people, but then He was going to be in them. And this is totally different than in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people and moved people. He was involved. He was with people. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes and resides on the inside of us. We are God-possessed. And so I know that there's people that when I start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
and the gift of speaking in tongues, there's many people that say, I don't believe in that. I believe I've got everything there was to get when I got born again and I don't need anything else. I've got the Holy Spirit. And you will cite some benefit that the Holy Spirit has done in your life. I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit has touched you and moved upon you because, again, that, that's all through the Bible. But in the New Testament, there is a unique relationship with the Holy Spirit that goes beyond just being born again. Look at some scriptures here on this. In the 20th chapter of the book of John, this is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he appeared unto his disciples. And he said this to his disciples. Um, I'm going to have to find this. This is in John chapter 20. And he was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection. And he said in John chapter 20 and in verse 17, he said unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. But go to thy brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. He goes on down and he appears to the same disciples that same day. And you know what? I'm having trouble finding this. But anyway, hopefully my staff will put this on the screen. He spoke to these disciples. I know it's right here. I don't know why I'm not seeing it. But he told his disciples, he says, Tarry until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he had already had uh, Thomas fall down in John chapter 20. And he said unto Thomas, uh, put your finger into the print of the nails, put your hand into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas fell down in verse 28 and says, My Lord and my God. Did you know according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So according to that scripture, Thomas was born again right here because he confessed the resurrected Jesus as Lord and he had to believe in his heart that He was raised from the dead because he was looking at Him and admitting that He was God. So according to Romans 10, 9, he was born again right here. These disciples were born again and yet the Lord told them to tarry until they were endued with power from on high. So these are born-again people who did not have the indwelling baptism of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Again, you can see Jesus speaking to His disciples in Acts chapter 1. And He said this in Acts chapter 1 and in verse uh, 7. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power, but you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice he said, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, this is spoken just before Jesus was caught up in the clouds and received into heaven. You can go on and read that in Acts chapter 1. You know, again, I know I'm going contrary to a large segment of evangelical fundamentalist type of uh, Christian doctrine. And I was raised in that. I am not uh, critical of you at all. I was raised to believe that I had all of this that there was to get when I first got born again. 
But I'm showing you scripturally that there was a separate experience beyond being born again where they were endued with power, where the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it was fulfilled over in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And it made, it totally transformed these people. And this is not only the, the doctrine of Scripture, and I can give you other examples, I will as I go through this. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, the people were born again and water baptized, and then they sent to Jerusalem and had the apostles come and lay hands on them. And when they did, they received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. They were already born again, they were already water baptized, and yet they received the Holy Spirit separately. You can see the same thing in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts with Cornelius and his household. You can see the same thing in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts when he found people who were already disciples, but they hadn't even heard if there had been a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That shows you that the evangelicals and fundamentals go all the way back to Bible times because these people had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that as a joke. Don't get mad at me and write in to me. But I'm, I'm not against anybody. I've got a lot of friends of mine that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and yet I love them and they love me. But I'm telling you that in the Bible, there was something beyond just getting born again, and that's when the ba baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You receive power, and your life changes. My personal experience is that I was born again at eight years old. Some people question that and wonder if I truly had a genuine experience. I truly experienced God. The very next day in the third grade, my friends could tell something was different. They said, what has happened to you? And I told them I was born again. And I remember my friends making fun of me the day after I got born again because there was a change in me. And I know I was born again. And yet I was absolutely just saved and stuck. I was excited about heaven. I knew that God loved me. I had experienced a touch of that love. But I tell you, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 10 years later, when I was 18 years old, my life transformed. I mean, I caught on fire. The Word of God, like I was saying earlier, just came alive because the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired this. It was all breathed through the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God will just come alive to you. And I mean, my life just transformed overnight. Now, that's not all that there was to it. Like I said, I also had to get into the Word of God and renew my mind, and I'm not discounting all of that. But I'm saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit just jump-started my spiritual life. You can see in the Word of God that when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, they just caught on fire for God. They changed from being fearful, timid people that ran and denied that they even knew Jesus to people who were willing to lay their life down and die for Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the single most life-transforming experience with the Lord outside of your initial born-again experience. Now, being born again is absolutely essential. I'm not trying to downplay that, but that's what happens to you on the inside and it happens between you and God in the spirit realm. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers you to go out and release what's on the inside. As far as the outward manifestation goes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more life-transforming outwardly 
than the uh, being born again was because that was inward. And it's my personal testimony that the Holy Spirit, when he came into my life and filled me, I guarantee you I became a stark, raving, mad fanatic overnight. That may not seem appealing to some of you, but I tell you what, I would recommend it. And I have seen this with thousands and thousands and thousands of people that they come forward in my meetings, they get born again, and then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, they're never the same. I see a lot of people who've already received the born again experience, but they were just saved and stuck. They didn't seem to have any power. Jesus said here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, etc. But he said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word in the Greek is dunamis. It means miraculous, miracle working power. Here's another way that I can kind of validate that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. And it's different from just the Holy Spirit being involved in your salvation and drawing you unto God. There's a difference in having the Holy Spirit with you and then having the Holy Spirit come in you and empower you. Another witness to this is that if you look at the people who claim to see the miraculous power of God, I mean miraculous healings. Now, there's many Christians that will pray and, you know, all of a sudden things just kind of work out like the doctor's found a cure or were able to do surgery or something like that. And anyway, I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm not saying that God can't bless and move through a doctor. But I'm talking about miracles that are separate from anything in the natural, just supernatural miracles where you see blind eyes suddenly open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead. You take any person who operates in the supernatural power of God and sees people healed without some kind of a natural uh, method and without exception. Those people are all people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and believe in speaking in tongues. Some of you may not have ever thought about that, but I encourage you just to think about it. Go through and I guarantee you, every single person who operates in the supernatural power of God is a person who has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. They go hand in hand. You receive power, dunamis, miraculous working power. These gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's not limited to only speaking in tongues, but the gifts of healings, the gift of miracles, the gift of faith, the gift of interpretation of tongues and all of these things. There's many gifts but only when people receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit do they operate in this supernatural power because this is exactly what Jesus said. People that do not see these supernatural miracles, they may pray and claim that God did a miracle for them and I'm not saying it's not a miracle, but it was through some natural mean where doctors or lawyers or the banker could get credit for it. But when you see something that is just, I mean, out and out a miracle, no, nothing natural involved in it, those people without exception are people that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I can't think of a single exception to it. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's just like flipping a switch. I mean, power, revelation comes to you. Things begin to work that didn't work before. I don't know how anybody makes it without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
I can tell you that if I hadn't have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 18 years of age, and if I hadn't have been operating in this, I would not still be serving the Lord or I wouldn't be passionate about serving the Lord the way I am today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit just totally changed my life. And it's something that is not synonymous with salvation. It is a second experience. And it came on the day of Pentecost. Let me just read some of this to you out of Acts chapter 2. In verse 1 it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I, again, this is obvious if you've ever studied the Scripture that on the day of Pentecost the people spoke with tongues. Nobody who believes in the Bible can disagree with this. But, again, the fundamentalists, the evangelicals as a whole will say that this was a one-off experience that happened only on the day of Pentecost so that they could speak in a known language to the people that were there. They didn't have interpreters, and this was a one-time uh, supernatural occurrence that isn't for us today. And that this uh, speaking in tongues that the Bible talks about is speaking in known languages because that's what happened here on the day of Pentecost. As they began to speak in tongues, all of the different nations that were gathered in Jerusalem heard them. And so anyway, they will just explain it away and say, yes, it happened, but it's not for us. This was a one-time deal. I've even heard some people say that this uh, uh, gift of speaking in tongues is the ability for people to learn languages quickly, to study them and pick them up supernaturally. Anyway, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but that's not what this is talking about. I will concede that the, the tongues on the day of Pentecost were known languages that served a purpose, and I agree with that. But it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, If I speak with the tongues, though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity, it profits me nothing. And the word speaking in tongues there of man and of angels shows that this is not all known languages. There are languages that are angelic languages, are heavenly languages that are used solely for the purpose of edification between us and God. And Paul talked about this. I'm not going to get into all of this. I've got separate teaching on, on the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. But Paul talked about that he spoke in tongues more than them all, but he didn't do it in church. He said, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. That's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So the apostle Paul, when he was in his private time with the Lord, he spoke in tongues more than all of the Corinthian believers put together. That's a lot of speaking in tongues. And it's obvious that it wasn't some language that was for the purpose of tell, uh, reaching somebody because there was nobody else there. It was in his own private time with the Lord. And yet he spoke in the tongues of angels. So this is not limited to just speaking in some known language. And there were cloven tongues of fire that came upon these people. There's not another account of that happening Matter of fact, in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, I won't take time to turn over and read it, but they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and there wasn't a cloven tongues of fire. This was a dramatic 
display that certainly uh, did a number of things. It was the very first time that the Holy Spirit was given like this and people became God-possessed with the Holy Spirit, not just for a moment, but I mean for the rest of their lives that He would never leave them nor forsake them. And so it was dramatic. There were cloven tongues of fire. There were known languages. It was miraculous. But the fourth chapter, they were filled with the Holy Spirit without the cloven tongues of fire and without there being known languages. They were just speaking in tongues, glorifying the Lord. In the eighth chapter, they spoke in tongues, not a known language, but just a personal prayer language to edify them between them and the Lord. In the tenth chapter, Cornelius and all of his household spoke in tongues, not known languages, but unknown languages. In uh, the nineteenth chapter and on and on, you could just go on and on through the book of Acts. If you take it as a whole, if you aren't trying to explain it away, if you just want the Bible to speak to you, you would see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was always accompanied with speaking in tongues. Sometimes it's a little more subtle than others. Like in the 8th chapter, this uh, sorcerer wanted to offer the disciples money so that, uh, you know, when he laid hands on people, that they might receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. It says that he saw it. And so sometimes it's not clearly stated, but there was something visible, tangible happening that made it very clear that there was a physical manifestation. In all of the other cases, it's clear that it was speaking in tongues. And so speaking in tongues accompanied this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now again, a lot of people say, well, I got the Holy Spirit when I was born again. You know, it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body of Christ. But then John said about Jesus that the one coming after me is mightier than I and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So you can tell that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism into the body of Christ, which is synonymous with being saved, are different because the people doing the baptisms are different. The Holy Spirit is the one that puts us into the body of Christ, baptizes us into the body of Christ, but Jesus is the one that baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. So there's different people doing the baptisms. The element that we're being baptized into is different. It is a separate experience. You can find separate experiences in Acts chapter 2. The disciples had already been born again, but in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them. In Acts chapter 8, you can find that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he led those people to the Lord. They repented and they burnt all of their books of witchcraft and things like this. They were baptized in water. There was true, genuine conversion, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. This is after the day of Pentecost. I've heard some people try and say, well, the first disciples had to wait until the day of Pentecost, but now after the day of Pentecost, when you get born again, you receive everything all at one time. But here in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, I guess I might as well turn over and read some of this to you. I've referred to this a couple of times. I'm not wanting to become so technical in this that I just debate every little thing and miss the overall impact I'm trying to get across that the power of the Holy Spirit is so essential for us being um, f uh, successful in our Christian life. But in Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip went down, preached to the city of Samaria, and it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 6, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, 
hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Again, Philip was a person who had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and so miracles followed him. I made that point already that the people who believe in miracles always believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. They follow each other. Today, there's a lot of people that preach the gospel that don't believe in miracles and they don't believe in speaking in tongues. But that's not the way that the New Testament church was. He ministered with signs following. And it says in in verse 7, "...unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed." And there was great joy in this city. It talks about this sorcerer uh, called Simon. And um, he even repented to a degree. And let me go on down. And it says in verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then Simon himself believed And when he was baptized, he continued with the disciples. But it says in verse uh, 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost." And so right here is an instance of people who were born again. They burnt their books. They confessed all of these things. There was great joy in the city. They were water baptized. And yet they had not received the Holy Spirit is what it said. They were born again and hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a large segment of the body of Christ today that preaches that the moment you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't disagree with that To a degree, you have the Holy Spirit with you. The Holy Spirit is involved in your salvation. He will move in your life to a degree. But there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit with you and having Him in you and upon you and anointing you. So I'm not going to argue that, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with you if you aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying that there is a separate experience, a separate uh, experience from salvation where the Holy Spirit comes and anoints you and you receive power. And that's what this is talking about. And then that same thing happened in the 10th chapter, same thing happened in the 16th chapter, the 18th chapter, the 19th chapter of Acts. It's just all through the book of Acts people receiving a separate experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You know, if you aren't already prejudiced and biased by a doctrinal belief that you've adopted, and if you just read the book of Acts, you will see that people who already were born again, already New Testament believers, had a separate experience with the Holy Spirit that empowered them. And in every instance, there was some manifestation. Like in this instance, it doesn't say specifically that it was speaking in tongues, but it says that Simon, in verse uh, 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that I can do it. There was a visible manifestation. 
But in, and it doesn't say clearly, but in every other instance in the book of Acts, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So to be consistent, it would be logical to say that it was speaking in tongues. I can't say that emphatically, but I can say there was a physical manifestation. And in every other case, it was speaking in tongues. So it's logical to think that it was speaking in tongues here. You know, let me make this point. This, you know, I'm getting, I'll be getting criticism from all of the fundamentalist evangelical types that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I'll get a lot of criticism over that. Now, I'll get criticism from the Pentecostals that do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues because I'm going to say that I believe you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I believe it's possible, but it's still a separate experience. It's not just synonymous. For instance, I've read... uh, you know, there, I could just name a lot, a lot of names of people in the fundamentalist type churches who have had a powerful experience with the Lord. Like, for instance, Charles Finney talked about it was like waves of liquid love flowing over him. I had an experience like that, March the 23rd, 1968. And uh, I've read about Moody and Finney and these other people who had dramatic second encounters with the Lord. I think Andrew Murray called it uh, absolute surrender. And, you know, there's been people throughout history that I believe probably had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and didn't speak in tongues. Now, see, my Pentecostal friends will be mad at me now because I say that you can have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. But I'm not speaking in tongues right now. I could. I could speak in tongues right now. I won't do it because the Scripture says that it's better to speak words that can impact a person. I speak in tongues between me and the Lord, and it's in my personal relationship with the Lord. But just because I'm not speaking in tongues right now, does that mean I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. So just because you have the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're automatically speaking in tongues. It's something that you initiate. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They spake with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit inspires you, enables you to speak in tongues, but He doesn't do it. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit inspires you to speak in tongues. You have to speak. You know, when people come forward in my meetings to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I nearly always give them this instruction. There's a lot of things to this, more than I can give in just a very short period of time. But I nearly always tell the people that the thing that kept me from speaking in tongues for so long was the fact that I thought it was going to just force itself out. You know, this is crude, but I'm just trying to get my point across. This is my testimony. I thought that speaking in tongues was going to be like when you threw up, that you couldn't stop it, you just put your hand over your mouth or whatever and and it's going to come out and there's nothing you can do that you're just forced to speak in tongues. It's not that way. If it was that way, for one thing, it would be impossible to have the instructions that are given in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where it tells you not to speak in tongues more than two or three in one church service and under those circumstances you had to have an interpreter. In other words, he's telling them how to control it how to administer it. And he says in that context in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. 
What that's talking about is that this is not something where the Holy Spirit just forces you and you can't control it. No, you can control it. This spirit of speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subject to you. You can start it and stop it. Some people think, so you can just turn the Holy Spirit on and off. No, He's on all of the time. It's me that's on and off. And anytime I want to turn on and speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit is always enabling me to do it. But the Holy Spirit doesn't force it upon you. And so they had to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And so because of that, I believe that there are people who've had a miraculous encounter with the Lord where they were baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit and they didn't speak in tongues because they had been taught against it. I was taught that it was of the devil and I actually adopted a prejudice against speaking in tongues. But then, like I said, I began to read about uh, Charles Finney and Tozer and Dwight L. Moody and all of these people who had made a huge impact. Every single one of them had a separate experience with the Lord from salvation where they were just filled with the power of God and it transformed them. And from that moment on, their life took on a new course. So I began to start seeking for this power from on high. I didn't even know what to call it. I'd never heard the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what to call it, but I just knew that there was more and I didn't have it. And I began to seek for it. And on March the 23rd, 1968, I had this experience where God revealed himself I mean, God poured His love out in me just like Finney. It was like waves of liquid love. I had this experience with the Lord, but I didn't speak in tongues right then. And some people say, well, why not? Because I'd been taught against it and I was prejudiced. And again, you have to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't force it on you. And so I believe that there are some people because of their denominational prejudice and their... Uh, teaching against it, they don't allow the Holy Spirit to speak through them because they've been convinced that it's not for them. But you know, after I had that experience, it wasn't very long until I began, the Word just came alive and the Holy Spirit began to start revealing things to me and it wasn't very long until I connected the dots and saw that speaking in tongues was a super important part of this baptism of the Holy Spirit and I began to pray for it and I began to seek it. And it was about three and a half years later after I had this miraculous encounter with the Lord before I started speaking in tongues. But when I did speak in tongues, it's like I got baptized in the Holy Spirit all over again. It's like it doubled, it tripled the power and the influence that it had in my life. And so I can say this, that I believe I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues because I was prejudiced against it and I wouldn't, the Lord didn't just make me do it. He doesn't force speaking in tongues. So my personal experience is that I believe I had it before I spoke in tongues. But when I went ahead and persevered and began to speak in tongues, it's like it just exploded. It increased twofold, three times, four times as much in my life. And I believe that speaking in tongues is a part of the Holy Spirit. And you've only gone part way if you haven't received this gift of speaking in tongues. This doesn't mean that you don't love God. My own personal experience is I got born again when I was eight and I loved God. 
And I served God to the best of my ability. I didn't go into the sin that other people did. I loved God with all of my heart. I'm not saying that if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't love God. And I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. But I am saying that there is a difference between you trying to live for God and having God put His Spirit on the inside of you and empowering you so that He is living through you for God. It's like Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit just releases the life of God in you. And I started this entire series talking about how to stay positive in a negative world. I'm just telling you, you can't do it without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life. And this is the very reason that so many Christians are living a defeated life. They're just saved and stuck. They're saved and they're singing about when we all get to heaven. What a day that will be. In the sweet by and by. But in the rough now and now, they are just being beat to a pulp. They're defeated by sickness, by poverty, by fears, by depression. And it's because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in them. They don't have this ability to speak in tongues. Look at this passage over in Isaiah chapter 28. And this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It says in verse 11, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. This is the rest wherewith you cause the weary to rest. Are you feel like you're worn out? Like you're ready to run up a white flag and just quit? It's too hard? I guarantee you, speaking in tongues is just like flipping a switch and all of a sudden you start building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost is what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20. And when you speak in tongues, you build yourself up. You cause rest to come. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues is for us today. It's working in my life. I've seen thousands of people just change like turning on a dime when they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The only criticism that I've ever heard against the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues that had any validity to it at all is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And of course, chapter 12 and chapter 14 are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not only speaking in tongues, but others. And it, uh, chapters 14 focuses on speaking in tongues a lot. And in the middle of those two chapters, it says, but in the last verse of chapter 12, it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then chapter 13 is what's often called the love chapter. And people will come out and say, love is superior to all of these gifts. This isn't saying that love is better than the gifts. If you read all the rest of it, it's the gifts operating in love is superior to just emphasizing the gifts and talking about those kind of things. In other words, the gifts help us to relate to God and increase our relationship, but, but you can't operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit carnally. Hadn't got time to talk about that. But let me go down here. Here is the only criticism I've ever heard that even approached having some logic to it. 
But these very passages disprove the very things that people are saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in verse 10 it says, "But or let me back up and I guess read some of this in context. Verse 8, Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And so people take that verse and say, See, this gift of tongues is going to cease. And they believe that that happened after the last apostle died. And today we don't need uh, the gift of tongues. In verse 9, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And people will say that that which is perfect is talking about the Bible. And it's perfect. And I subscribe to that. I've even used this verse over in um, uh, Psalms chapter 19. I believe it was verse 7. that the, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And I believe that the Word of God is perfect. But that's not the perfect that's spoken about here because it goes on to say in the next verse, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then, then what? When that which is perfect is come, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then when that which is perfect is come, shall I know even as also I am known. It's obvious that we haven't seen the Lord face to face. It's obvious that we still don't know everything, that we will be quickened in our understanding when our glorified body, when the Lord returns and when we, we receive a glorified body is the then that this is talking about. When that which is perfect is come, a glorified body. At that time, you don't need something to help your understanding. You know, over in Romans chapter 8, it says, uh, The Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, for we know not how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit helps us. And this is one of the things that praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues does. It bypasses the limitations of your brain, your confusion, all of your hurt and your pain and all of the wrong doctrine and everything. When you're praying, you're praying directly out of your spirit. And so uh, the people who say that tongues are going to pass away, I agree that they are when we get to heaven. When you know all things, even as also you are known, you aren't going to need the ability to speak in tongues and bypass your brain. You won't have any of those problems. And so tongues will cease, but that's still in the future. It is for us today. This verse is saying that the tongues will not pass away until we see face to face and until we know all things. So instead of these verses saying that speaking in tongues and the baptism and the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. Instead, this verse shows that until that which is perfect has come, which couldn't be talking about the Word of God because we still haven't seen face to face and we still don't know all things. This is talking about when the Lord returns and we receive a perfect glorified body that knows all things, even as also we are known. At that time, tongues are going to pass away. Until that time, until tongue, until we receive a glorified body and we are with the Lord in eternity, then we need this gift of speaking in tongues. That's a powerful statement. So let me just point out some of the advantages of speaking in tongues. I've had people before say, what's the point? Well, there's a lot of things that happen beyond our understanding. I read these verses over in Isaiah chapter 28 that this is the rest and this is the refreshing wherewith you cause the weary to rest. And it was talking about speaking in tongues. So if you understand that, 
even beyond your comprehension, when you speak in tongues, it just causes you to rest. It builds you up. Jude chapter 1 verse 20 says, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in tongues, you are building yourself up. So it's a faith builder. That right there is reason enough. But there are some other things that speaking in tongues does that I want to point out. Right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and in verse 14 it says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now this is a major statement right here. And I wish I had more time. I could literally spend a couple of weeks ministering on these things, so I'm going to go through some things very quickly. But the scripture says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that we have the mind of Christ. And people struggle sometimes to say, man, I don't have the mind of Christ. I lost my glasses. I couldn't find them for a week and they were sitting on top of my head. <laughs> There's people that forget where they put their keys and stuff. And, and you know, in our school, people, they say, if they've got the mind of Christ, how come they don't always make a hundred on the test? It's because the mind of Christ isn't in your brain up here. It's not saying that your mind is totally renewed and you know all things like Jesus does. But in your born-again spirit, you have the mind of Christ. And as this verse says, that when you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit is praying. The part of you that has the mind of Christ is praying. The part of you that knows all things is praying. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Again, people by observation say, I don't know all things, but the Bible says you do. Which is it? It's both. With your little peanut brain, you don't know all things, but in your born-again spirit, you have the mind of Christ, and you know all things. But it's in your spirit. How do you get it out of your spirit? Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. When you start speaking in tongues, you are speaking from your spirit that has the mind of Christ and knows all things. Another verse that goes along with this is Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. talks about putting on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that has created him. And so again, this is talking about in your spirit, not in your brain. Your mind's not renewed. It's in the process of being renewed. But your spirit is already renewed. You're already complete. You have the mind of Christ. You know all things. You are renewed in knowledge. But what good does this do you if it stays in your spirit? When you start speaking in tongues, your spirit is the part that is praying. And so when your spirit prays, it is using this mind of Christ the part of you that knows all things, the part of you that has been renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. You're speaking forth these hidden wisdom of God. Look at this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 2, it says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. It's talking about in the Spirit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and also from your born-again spirit, you are speaking mysteries. You know, if you keep your finger there, I don't know if you're following me in the Bible, but I'll come back to 1 Corinthians 14. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at this. Paul said this in verse 6. 
He says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. You know, I could spend a lot more time making this point, but Paul got a revelation of the gospel that even some of Jesus' disciples didn't understand. Peter said that our beloved brother Paul says, some things that are hard to be understood, which those who are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other scriptures. Peter called Paul's writing scripture, and yet he says it's some things hard to be understand. Peter was with Jesus for three and a half years, and yet Paul had a revelation of the gospel that Peter struggled to understand. Paul had a superior revelation. Where did he get this from? He said, he is speaking the wisdom of God, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained. And over in Galatians chapter 1, he shows you that he spent three and a half years in the desert and he got this revelation by the Holy Spirit. It came as revelation. He wasn't taught it. Now, of course, he knew a tremendous amount of Old Testament scriptures and there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit used the scriptures that he had already learned and taught him some things through it. But I'm saying it wasn't some person that taught him. It was the Holy Spirit who just supernaturally taught him and explained these things to him. And he said it was the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So the Apostle Paul said he got this revelation directly from God, and it was the wisdom of God in a mystery. And then he says that when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking forth the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden mysteries of God. You know what I believe? And let me put one other verse with this. I've already used 1 Corinthians 14, 14, where it says when you pray in tongues, your spirit is the part of you that's praying. In verse 13, it says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So you can pray to get your, your gift of speaking in tongues interpreted. I believe that the Apostle Paul received this experience on the road to Damascus, got born again, and then three days later... Here again is a separation between his born-again experience and when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Three days later, a man named Ananias came in and laid hands on him and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And then he went into the deserts of Arabia and for three and a half years he sought God and a large part of him getting this revelation was speaking in tongues because when he speaks in tongues, it's his spirit that prays, the part that already knows all things, has the mind of Christ in it. He is speaking forth the hidden wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, and all he did was pray that he could interpret. And as he spoke in tongues, and of course he took the scripture, he didn't turn his mind off, it wasn't a mindless revelation, but as he spoke in tongues and submitted himself to God, the Holy Spirit gave him this revelation of the gospel, and he wrote half of the New Testament because he spoke in tongues and drew this supernatural mind of Christ out of him and that's how he came by this revelation. Boy, that is a big statement right there. And I know that there's many people that will disagree with that and you're entitled to your opinion, but I won't agree with you or we'd both be wrong. 
I'm telling you, I believe that that's the truth. And I can tell you that in my own personal life, I have applied this many, many times. The reason I'm bringing this up, I could just go on and on and on talking about the benefits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But I'm trying to show that it's not just something you do just to have a goosebump going up and down your spine, just to prove that you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you do when you get really excited in the Lord just kind of, you know, to let off a little bit of steam so that you don't pop. There is some practical things that speaking in tongues does, and one of them is that when you speak in tongues, you are speaking forth this wisdom of God out of your spirit, the part of you that is the mind of Christ and knows all things, and you've got the precedent right here that when you pray in tongues, pray also that you interpret. And all you've got to do when you come into a situation that you don't know what to do is just start speaking in tongues and ask God for an interpretation. Now, let me say that I would never take an interpretation, my thoughts or feelings or emotions that come after me praying a prayer like that. And if those things go contrary to God's word, I'd kick them out in a heartbeat. Because just because you operate in the power of the Holy Spirit does not mean you're infallible. Matter of fact, if you take the book of Corinthians in context and he's talking to these Corinthians, they had abused the gift of speaking in tongues and they were doing things. They were actually getting drunk, taking the Lord's communion and they were just prophesying to each other and they had turned it into things that they were using these gifts of the Spirit to somehow or another enhance them and make people think that they were better or more spiritual than other people. And he denounced them for it. And so you can use the gifts of the Holy Spirit and still not be flowing with the Holy Spirit completely. So you can't just pray in tongues and then pray that you get an interpretation and the very first thing that comes to your mind, you do it. You still have to check everything out by the Word of God. It has to measure up. But with some qualifications, when you are praying in tongues, your spirit is praying the part of you that has the mind of Christ. And if you don't know what to do, you can pray and God will give you an interpretation. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but the building that we're in right now, our one in Colorado Springs, we're in the process of building a new Karis uh, Bible College campus up in Woodland Park. But at the moment, we're still in Colorado Springs. And this building that we're in, it took $3.2 million to renovate it and make it so that we could put our school and our staff in here. And the Lord, uh, you know, I bought the building and I bought the building on credit. I took out a $3 million loan on this building, but then there was $3.2 million of uh, renovation to do. And they told me that we would have the construction loan to start this building within just a matter of weeks after buying this. And yet it drug on for nine months. And they told me next week, next week for nine months. And after nine months of this, they finally said that, you know, it's been so long, we need to do another um, evaluation on the building and let's just start the whole process over. And when they said that, all I could see was another nine months of getting nothing done. And we needed this building. And so I said, well, I'm going to pray about it. And I went home and I've built this trail and I walk and I pray on this trail. And I started praying. I'd been praying about it all day since I'd heard this report, but I was specifically setting aside this time to pray. And I started praying in tongues and I turned to these verses and I said, Father, I know that my spirit has an answer to this. None of this has surprised you. So I know that in my spirit, man, I have the mind of Christ and I know exactly what to do. There is a way to turn this situation around. 
And I said, so I'm going to pray in tongues. And when I pray in tongues, it's my spirit praying. And then I prayed 1 Corinthians 14, 13. That I'm also asking for an interpretation that you would just show me what I'm praying in tongues. That it would, I would get understanding in my mind and know what I'm supposed to do. So I started walking on that trail. And I mean, I wasn't a hundred yards down that trail. I was three or four minutes into this walk, praying in tongues, asking God to give me an interpretation that he brought back to my remembrance a prophecy that was given to me. And it said that in this building program, you aren't going to need a bank because you've got your own bank. And the prophecy went on to say that your partners are your bank. They are going to pay for this and you will be able to do it debt free. And that had been like a year and a half, nearly two years earlier. And just in the, you know, the busyness of doing everything, I just had forgotten that. And I got to thinking about this. God, is this my answer? Does this mean I'm not even supposed to take out a loan? Can I actually get this done debt free? I went back and I sat down and figured out at the rate we had been able to save money, if we had continued to have money come in over and above our normal expenses, and save at the same rate, it would have taken me a hundred years to get this $3.2 million to be able to finish out this building. And so there were some dire consequences. If I said, this is what God spoke to me, and I'm not going to take out a loan, and I'm going to do this debt-free, if this wasn't God, and if things just continued to go in the natural as they had, it would have basically killed my ministry. It would have killed this school because we couldn't accommodate the people. But I prayed about it. I continued to pray and I felt sure and I made this decision. And guess what? Within 14 months, we brought in the $3.2 million that it took to finish out this building and get it done debt free. And you know how that happened? Through praying in tongues and asking God for an interpretation. It's exactly what these verses say. That when you pray in tongues, it's your spirit prays. The part of you that has the mind of Christ and knows all things. And then all you got to do is ask for an interpretation. Now again, I'm, that doesn't mean that you just ask for an interpretation and take the first thought that comes to your mind. If it violates the Word of God, it's contrary. But you know, when the Lord told me I was going to do this debt-free, I could attach a lot of scriptures to that about you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. Owe no man anything except to love one another. You'll be the head only and not the tail above and not beneath and... On and on and on. I could have used a lot of scriptures and it was consistent with the word. And so I don't just sit there and take the first impression that comes to me, but I do pray in tongues, ask God for an interpretation. And I mean, God has shown me supernatural things through this. There are many of you today that are facing tough decisions and you need a word from God. And all you got to do is receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit Pray in tongues. Let your spirit, the part of you that has the mind of Christ, start dominating you and then ask God for an interpretation of what you're saying. And God will show you supernatural things that will make a huge difference. So hopefully I have touched a lot of people who maybe you've heard about this, maybe you've heard bad things about it, but you've been persuaded, you've come to believe that, man, you want everything that God has for you. And if there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and if speaking in tongues is powerful and if it helps you, you want it. I want to spend today just talking about how do you receive this. And again, this is a very short, uh, you know, um, teaching on this. There's much more that could be said. But let me turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 16 it says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 
This is talking to people who are born again. And he was uh, telling them that when they got born again, they became the temple of God. So I believe that every born again believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this is significant because what this means is when you got born again, God created you to be a dwelling place, a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. And that means that this is what you were created for. God would not forbid you having the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have it. This is what you were made for. It's what you were created for. This means that God wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have the Holy Spirit. Since the day you got born again, God has been trying to draw you to a place to where you would open up and just allow the Holy Spirit to have absolute dominance and control in your life. And you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been working on this for a long time. So I think it's really significant. I always tell people that this is what you were created for. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And literally, all you have to do, God is a gentleman. And He will not force you to do anything. The Lord always woos you and draws you to Himself. He will encourage you and show you the way, but God doesn't force you. It's the devil that drives. It's the devil who dominates and controls and you can't escape. God is not like that at all. So all you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit, if you are already born again, and I want to make that clear, it says in John chapter 14, it says that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it can't see Him. But He has been with you and He shall be in you. And so you have to be born again before you can receive the Holy Spirit. If you have never truly committed your life to the Lord Jesus, then the very first step is you have to receive Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You must be born again. The Holy Spirit will not come and indwell a person who has not first made Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior. That is essential. And the scripture makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 5 that you have a witness in yourself and you know that you have passed from death unto life. If you've truly been born again, you aren't just hoping so. I have people all of the time that I ask them, are you saved? Well, I, I hope so. I think so. Nearly without exception, they aren't saved because when you get saved, something happens. You know it. You know that you have changed on the inside and you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. Here's a way that you can answer that. If you were to die right this moment and if you were to stand before God and if He says, what makes you worthy? How would you respond? If you would start pointing to what you've done and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I've gone to try. I believe in you. I believe that you've existed. I never was real bad. I never murdered anybody. I didn't do... I think my good outweighs my bad. If you answer with any of those kind of things, did you know you would go straight to hell? I don't care if you're a better person than I am. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? The truth is, see, you were pointing to yourself and you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only answer that will get you into heaven for all eternity, if God was to say, what makes you worthy? You have to point to Jesus and say, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. My faith is in Him. It's because of what He did for me that I expect to enter into heaven, not because of what I did for Him. That's big. And there's a lot of people today 
who are proclaiming their own goodness and they go to church and they give their tithes and they read the Bible, but they are doing it trying to earn God's favor and you cannot experience salvation trying to earn it. It's a gift of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You just have to humble yourself and receive it. You have to quit trusting in yourself. So the very first step to receiving this power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, you must be born again. You have to receive the giver before you receive the gift that He wants to offer you. So if you haven't been born again, you need to do that. And somebody might say, how do I do that? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's as simple as that. Jesus has already paid for your sins. Jesus died to forgive you. It's not a matter of will He forgive you. He has already forgiven you. The question is, will you receive it? How do you receive it? You have to speak with your mouth and make Jesus your Lord. And that's more than just mouthing the words. You have to literally from the heart be making a commitment to turn your life over to Jesus. Now, it is not a promise that you'll never fail because you can't keep that promise. I don't keep it. Nobody keeps it. We all have sinned and still come short of the glory of God. But you have to be willing to say, I want you to control me. I want, with your help, I do want to follow you. You do have to be willing to make him Lord and confess it with your mouth and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. It's a promise. And it goes on to say, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you called on the name of the Lord in faith, making Him your Lord and looking to Him for salvation, then you get born again. And at that exact moment, according to this verse, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit resides within, but you were created to be a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And then once you're born again, all you have to do is in a sense just open up the doors of your temple. And say, God, I'm opening up my heart right now. And I want the power of the Holy Spirit. I want this experience that Andrew's been talking about. I want this ability to speak in tongues and have my spirit pray the hidden wisdom of God and interpret it. I want power to be able to live the Christian life. And all you have to do is just welcome Him. Again, God is a gentleman. God won't force Himself upon you. God is not going to just make you experience his power. He will protect your right to do your own thing. Even though it's destroying you, God will not force you to submit to Him. You have to open up your heart and welcome this. But I promise you this, that when you open up your heart, the doors of your heart, and welcome the Holy Spirit into this tabernacle, God will come in like gangbusters. God is wanting to flow into your life and set you free. I've experienced it. I've seen thousands of people experience this and I just know that God wants to fill you more than you want to be filled. 
Let me give a couple of other things about this. There are people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but they teach that in order for you to have this experience, you've got to get rid of all sin in your life. You can't have any wrong things. You've got to just be perfect and holy because God won't fill anything but a holy vessel. He won't fill a dirty vessel. Well, I want you to know that God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. All of us are in varying stages of missing the mark and being less than we're supposed to. Let me say it this way, that if you could get holy without the power of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Don't let some feeling of unworthiness and the fact that you've got a problem in your life and that you aren't overcoming in some area, don't let that stop you or make you feel unworthy. God doesn't give the Holy Spirit to you because you're worthy. He gives the Holy Spirit because you were created when you got born again to be a dwelling place and He wants to fill you with His power so that you can begin to start living a victorious life. It says over in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, it says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And the verse is right in front of that. It said, how many of you have a son that if he asked an egg, you'd give him a scorpion? Or if he asked for a piece of bread, you'd give him a, a stone so he could bite down on that and break a tooth? Or if he asked for a fish, you'd give him a serpent? Nobody, no good parent would treat their children that way. Well, if you will treat your children good, then how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? All you got to do is ask and believe. And so these are just real simple things. You must be born again. You need to make sure that you have Jesus, the giver, before you receive the gift. But once you are born again, you were created to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And all you've got to do is just open up your heart and in faith welcome Him in and believe that He will give you the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. And then when you do your part and you open up, God will manifest Himself to you and it comes differently to different people. You know, in my meetings, there are some people that just have, I mean, miraculous encounters with the Holy Spirit. There are some people that it's like when you get, you know, when you faint because fear hits you or something like that and your body just literally can't handle that shock of adrenaline or whatever it is that's flowing through you. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit touches a person, they fall out on the floor and I mean, they're out cold. John Wesley and his meetings, that used to happen to people and they'd have to be taken home in buggies and they would stay out for a day or two before they'd come back too. And it's just because the power of the Holy Spirit overwhelms you. And some people it just is overwhelming and they literally faint under the power of it. There's other people that get very emotional. Did you know with me, when I received the Holy Spirit, it wasn't like that. It was just, I, I had a revelation, an understanding and in my heart, I opened up my heart and I mean God came in and I was flooded with the love of God. But it wasn't emotional. It wasn't something that was tangible. It wasn't physical. I didn't shake. I didn't fall. So I'm just saying that it could be different. Don't prejudice, you know, yourself. And if it doesn't happen a certain way, you start doubting whether or not you received it. Just go by this scripture Luke eleven thirteen that if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you ask 
and believe, then you just believe that you receive. And whether you feel anything at that moment or not, I believe God is faithful to His Word. And I've been emphasizing this gift of speaking in tongues. It is a part of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of like a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all have tongues. Amen. And God will give you this gift of speaking in tongues. It's a part of it, and it's an important gift. But you know what? When I first prayed for the baptism, and I received this supernatural love of God in my heart, I didn't speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that it was of the devil. I had fear about it, and I was just waiting. If it was really of God, I just wanted it to come out without me having to do anything. I just wanted God to force me to speak in tongues. And that's not what the Scripture says. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Spirit gives you the utterance or the inspiration. But He doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't force you to speak in tongues. Before I came into the office today, I was praying and asking God to speak through me. And I was drawing on a gift of the Holy Spirit to help me to be able to tell people things that would help them. But if I just started my program by saying, Oh God, speak through me. And then I opened up my mouth and just stuck my tongue out and waited on God to make it move. You know, if I'd have done that, you would have had dead silence. It was me speaking, but I believe it was inspired of God. Well, speaking in tongues is the same thing. Once you pray and ask God for this gift of the Holy Spirit, He's not going to force you to speak in tongues. You have to, by faith, start speaking and believe that God is inspiring it. Just like I started speaking today, and I was speaking words out of my own intellect, but believing that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the way that speaking in tongues is. It's a step of faith. And did you know when you first start speaking in tongues, especially if you're by yourself, you know, when you're in a group and you see everybody else receiving this and them speaking in tongues and people worshiping God, sometimes you get caught up in that and people think, man, that was awesome. And, and it's, in a sense, easier to do in a group. But when you're by yourself, your mind will start thinking, this is just you. Well, it is you speaking, but it's not just you. It's you speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Just like when I minister, I believe it's me speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it and speaking through me. Speaking in tongues is like that. And it takes faith to believe that this is really God and it's not just you. And when you first speak, it's kind of similar to a little child. When they first speak, you know, they may say, Mama, Dada, and people think that they weren't really calling Daddy or Mama. But that parent knows what that child is trying to say. You may wonder, is this really God? And it may not sound like a real language to you, but you are bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. You're speaking out of your spirit. You have to do it by faith. Every time you start saying words that don't make sense to you, it's not coming out of your brain, you have to move into a realm of faith that is going to produce tremendous benefit in your life. Well, that's powerful.